0: Hey guys, good to be with you this morning. It's a beautiful, murky Pacific Northwest October morning, isn't it? feels feels like we're back in that other season of that one other one we have. So, if you haven't met me, my name's Dawson. I'm uh, one of the leaders here, and uh, I'm a son of the King that we were just singing about, and. Still learning that last verse that Alex read, his amazing uh, amazing love so divine that demands my soul, my all. So that's, that's who I am, I'm on that journey. And uh, Dave already welcomed if, uh, those who are new here and so I wanna do the same, but I wanna do something a little bit more specific because it's not often that we have an old friend move across the country from Philadelphia to join our church family. And I'm talking about Kyleo here, who's, uh, who's a friend of mine, a friend of some of you guys. We can welcome him. He, uh, he, didn't, he didn't just stop by. There we go. Dama, thank you. He didn't just stop by. He's going to spend some time with us. Uh, we don't know how long. Um, years, we think. We, we'll see. And so if you don't know Leo, I, I urge you not to wait years, but to get to know his story. He has an incredible story, glorifies the Father in so many different ways. We're so glad to have you here. And I've never done this before, but I want to welcome you. I'm going to throw you some coffee beans. This is part, partly just to lay a stake in the ground of the best coffee in Tacoma, which is just down the road. It's Bluebeard. So here you go. We love you. That guy is the guy you need to meet, okay? So if you're new here and I didn't welcome you that way, I'm so sorry, <laughs> and maybe we can do that later. So I'd love to meet you. All right, uh, if you guys could open your Bibles to Mark 12. We're gonna be in Mark 12 today. And uh, this is the question I wanna, I wanna start with. Um, who, who do you become in conflict, or I should, maybe I should say, like, what do you become when conflict, uh, when things get tense, you know, when the relational temperature in the room starts rising, maybe when someone who knows you well enough to say that one thing that gets to you says that one thing, like who or what do you become? And by that I mean, um, do you become like a rhino, like you power up? And uh, you're like, did, did you just say that? Are you talking to me? Um, bring it on. And you unleash the, ri- the, the kraken. You unleash the rhino and you, you're like, I will not be bullied and I will bulldoze you if you try. Okay, so maybe, maybe that's you, yeah? Some of you are silent and I expect that's, get, that, that's you. And maybe you're not that. Maybe you're more of a, a porcupine. What I mean by a porcupine is you don't bulldoze. You're just going to retreat and kind of ball up, and be like, deal with the quills. Deal with the silence. I um, See what happens if uh, if you get near to me. Fight, fight or flight. When conflict arises, what happens? When conflict happens, what happens to you? Uh, a good friend of mine described that very dynamic in his marriage. He gave me permission to share this. He, he said, that is exactly what happens in my marriage. We we will be having the best night and things are going smoothly and then one of us says that one thing and this this strange weird metamorphosis happens and and suddenly we enter into the arena and in this corner we have the raging rhino and in this corner we have the the, the porcupine And it's like what, it, it, i don't know how it happens we're like we we are the bride and groom who gave our vows we're, uh, specifically, he was telling me, like, this one night is like, I thought we were actually going to a, a really happy ending that night, and suddenly we stepped into the arena and everything changed. So, um, yeah, that's what, that's, that's what my friend described. Some of you are looking at me with a little smirk. It seems a little strange. I'm sharing this much. And you're like, this friend of yours that you keep mentioning is, how close are you? Uh, some of you who really know me are like Dawson, when you look in the mirror, does this friend appear? And I'm, and yes, if you know me enough to be asking that question, I am friend. I, that was a story about me and my wife who did allow, my, my porcupine wife who did allow me to, I'm sorry, I'm the raging rhino. And, uh, and I say all that to say that on a Wednesday night after all that, inevitably later that night, I'm like, Dawson, where did that come from? Where did it come from? And the truth, my friend, Dawson, is that it came from within. That monstrous thing doesn't come from nowhere. It emerges from within, from, from my heart. And so as we get look, go into Mark 12, the, the sentence I want to say is often the conflict that's like out here, is going to like reveal the conflict in here. The, 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 one of my, my friends, I don't know if he's here, uh, great theologian, Derek Westcott, he's also a coach, a great coach, he says, conflict smokes out the heart. Conflict brings out the heart. Um, what happens out here, when we step into the arena in here with someone, ultimately it's because there's an arena of the heart happening and in that arena I have inside of me there's a conflict there are these contending loves you could say inside of me this this conflict of loves yes i love i love my wife but i also really love myself in many different ways in a variety of ways and there's this conflict of love James 4 starts with naming that says what causes quarrels amongst you what causes fights amongst you is it not this that your passions are at war within, within you. So our passions, our loves are at war within us. And when within there is this, this war of, of what's most what's most precious to me? What's my precious? Like, like Frodo, right? Uh, he at the end of the Lord of the Rings, it takes this great conflict to get to the bottom of his heart where the whole time he thought he was ready to get rid of this thing he actually realizes maybe I'm not that's my only Lord of the Ring reference and I don't have any C.S. Lewis quotes today for those of you who are with us so we're done all right there's some things we love that we're not quite willing to surrender another great Theologian, not Derek this time. A guy named Augustine says that in our hearts we have these disordered loves. There's a hierarchy of loves in our hearts, competing, fighting it out, and and wherever those loves fall, that hierarchy is gonna is gonna also influence what we're willing or not willing to surrender. Conflict reveals which of these things, these loves, we're willing to surrender and which we're not. Our ego, our comfort. Power, status, control, conflict—smokes out, smokes out the heart. So we're in the Gospel of Mark. We're walking through the Gospel of Mark. We've been doing this all all year long, walking with Jesus, and we're at a moment where Jesus has been drawn into the arena, okay, into into conflict. He's he's going to get attacked from all sides today, and um, as people are confronting this. Jesus in the arena. What we're going to see is that the conflict that happens is going to expose the conflict within them and those competing loves within them that are waging war as they wage war on on Jesus. So, we uh, if you've been with us this year, we've been following Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. We it's our desire to to be with Him in this, to be changed by Him in this, and and by his spirit, to learn to live the way Jesus lived. And, um, and if you've been walking with us, you know that the mark kind of is divided into two parts. The first, we've been following Jesus up till chapter 9. We were trying to figure out, with the disciples, the disciples are trying to figure out, who is he? And we came to the point where it's really clear, he, he's the king. And this second part that we're in now, and this is why I'm framing it just so you remember, is we're not trying to figure out who he is. We're trying to figure out what he came to do. And the second part is us following Jesus on his journey to the cross. That's the second part of Mark, is him going to the cross. So that's, that's, that's where we're at. Uh, we know who he is, and we're looking at what he has to do. He has to die. So there's this, this group of people here we're about to read. Uh, they decided they want to kill him. In the previous chapter that we looked at last week, Jesus kind of drew back the curtain, exposed the frauds. He we looked at how he flipped the tables in the temple, and and basically he was saying, where there is a front of fruitfulness but no fruit, and my people want to flip the tables, and that did not go over well. And so as we read this, you just got to understand this is kind of like the final showdown, like the the final countdown I I have a depending on your pop culture diet this is like Avengers Endgame okay or this is like where Simba confronts Scar at the very end this is the the I think you could still say this the Mexican standoff at the end of the good the bad and the ugly when they're all like what's up and the uh or the invasion of Normandy or the finale of the great British baking show okay Actually, that one's not quite appropriate because that, they're just way too nice to each other, even in the finale. So all the other ones. This is the great showdown. And as we read this, identify with me three groups of people. The first, one are gonna, the first group is going to be the people of power. I think I have a slide for that. People of power. So you're going to hear all these different scribes, priests, leaders, the Sadducees, all these different names. It's the people who are holding the cards. Second group is this one Genuinely curious man who comes to Jesus with a great question. And the third is a widow. And as we look at those three groups, I want to propose three mantras. One mantra for each of them that you might notice as we read this text. The first one is, I surrender not. That's their mantra. I surrender not. The second group, this man, is I surrender not ish. And the third, this widow, I surrender all, okay? And as we walk through this, my hope is that together you and I would also enter into the arena, and as we get our own conflicts of our own loves kind of exposed, we'd be able to to see where we fall in this. Is it I surrender not? Is it I surrender ish? Or I surrender all? And man, this is a long lead up. We're about to read, but the final thing I want to invite you to do. Is notice the widow as I was studying this chapter the widow kind of comes in at the very end you'll you'll notice her there but notice the theme of the widow throughout there's crazy contrast in this chapter between those who hold the the cards those with power and this this widow there's this contrast between the one who uh, the the one who has no husband and and the others who have like no humility There's this like crazy contrast. So notice the widow. All right, we're going to do something crazy. We're going to read a lot of the Bible right now. I hope that's not too crazy. We're going to read, we're going to start in verse um, 27 of chapter 11, and we're going to go all the way through the end of chapter 12. So open your Bibles, or if you're a better listener than reader, you can listen. Here we go. Chapter 11, verse 27, and they, that's Jesus and the disciples, came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven? Or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you, by what authority I do these things. I'm going to pause right there. Hey, Nathan, I think we got a little bit of feedback going on in this one of these phones. Is that true? Yeah. You could check it. Chapter 12. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard, and they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully, and he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed, he had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they'll respect my son. And it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. But truly teach the way of God? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one and he said to them, whose likeness in the scripture is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. They marveled at him. And Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong, because you neither no, the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but the living. You are quite wrong. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no one other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teachings, he said, Beware the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums That is God's word to us. Let's pray. (sighs) Jesus, we're all coming here with a different arena of conflicts in our hearts. Um, We ask right now that... uh, We let you filter through what's going on, not just our hearts, but in our stories. We know that you're a gentle, kind shepherd. Amen. All right, so that first group, let's look at that first group. I call it the I I surrender not group. I surrender not. um, now, we know why. You guys, you guys caught that. You know why they're approaching them. It's pr- pretty clear. It was super, super clear in the chapter before. Uh, in, in, in chapter 11, verse 18, it says, The chief priests and the scribes were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him. So they're, like, coming at him with all these questions, but they're not, like, questions actually to, like, get the answers. They're just trying to trap him because they want to destroy him. And Jesus does a very Jesus-y thing, and he exposes their hearts in turn. And, and we actually do not have time to walk through each of these uh, conversations. Each of those could be a sermon in, their, in, the, in themselves, but we're just going to briefly look at what got smoked out of their hearts, what, what got smoked out. So that first group, verses like 27 33, in the in the chapter 11, it's... It says the chief priests and the scribes, that's their names, they ask Jesus this leading question about authority, about authority. Jesus asked a brilliant question in return, and in verse 32 reveals, um, it, it shows us kind of what got smoked out of the heart. It says, verse 32, they were afraid of the people. There we go, okay? There's the heart smoked out. Right there, My, the, the precious is revealed. There's this, here's the thing that they're they're going to struggle to surrender, and that's their precious status. This that is the thing that they will surrender. Not this is a group. Even their question is about like authority, and this is a group that's that's people pleasers. So this is right away. This thing, this distorted, disordered love, gets smoked out. Uh, the second group, Pharisees and Herodians. Okay. Again, some big titles. Um, and it is their question itself that kind of like reveals their love that they're obsessed with, and that's power. <laughs> they're, they're asking these big questions, uh, kind of trick questions about power. And verse 15 says that Jesus sees their hypocrisy. And there could be a whole sermon right here in um, a conversation about uh relinquishing our power and submitting to the governing authorities, you know, he brings up the little coin and says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Um, That's actually a really probably like current important topic. If that's difficult for you in this time of mandates and stuff, we can have that conversation, but we're not going to go there today because uh, this text is leading us elsewhere. What I want us to notice is that Jesus in his little conversation with them smokes out their love for power. Like their need for power. My precious power. Can't let go of that. That I will surrender not. Their hearts smoked out. The third group, bear with me. We're almost done with just like setting the scene. I know this is a little tedious, but we got to get through this to understand what's happening. The third group is called the Sadducees. Now the Sadducees ask a very strange question about marriage in heaven. Marriage in heaven. Do you need some help, brother? Do you want to help? We can help you find a spot. So that I want you to notice that question about marriage in heaven. Did you notice how insensitive that question was? That was the first time the widow theme like popped up. Like I think we can kind of just roll past it, but this is a public conversation. Here are the leaders who we're going to see later like are supposed to take care of the widows like this, and they just like to prove a point with Jesus, say, hey, let's, let's come up with this hypothetical scenario. There's a woman, and she loses a husband. And then she loses another husband. And then she loses another husband. And she loses seven husbands. That's a pretty like sad picture. And these guys are so callous that they just say, Hey, imagine this woman that for seven times she loses her beloved. And then, like, let's talk about like, where she ends up in heaven. I just want us to notice that. Like, that is an incredibly callous, like, insensitive metaphor to use. And it's, and it's doubly like, callous because we actually know from the beginning of that passage what does it say in verse 18? The Sadducees come to him, this, these people come to him, these guys and who say there is no resurrection. They actually don't even believe there is a resurrection. So this whole thing is set up to trip up Jesus, and in doing so, they completely disarm of, like the vulnerable amongst them. So this, the Sadducees, um, not only don't, they don't believe in resurrection, they really don't believe in anything miraculous. It's, um, they, if there's something being smoked out of them, they're kind of the prototype like enlightenment people who, be, who believe just in the scientific mind. That's, that's where they're at. And they're, that conflict is getting brought out. Listen uh, to what Jesus says. I remember reading this this week and literally getting the chills. He turns to them and says, here's why you are wrong. It's a powerful statement. You know not the scriptures, and you know not the power of God. He's like smoking it out. <laughs> in one short week, this group of people are going to witness the power of God. They're going to witness Jesus hanging on a cross and the power of God in this storm that engulfs the city, in the temple, like the curtain in the temple splitting open. And they're going to witness the power of God though they're going to try not to witness of a resurrection an unexpected resurrection of Jesus himself, rising from the dead. He says, you know not the power of God. Have you read your Bibles? You know not the scriptures. Have you read your Bibles? It is a testament to the supernatural power of God. You know not the scriptures. You know not the power of God. Their hearts are smoked out. Their loves are revealed. Okay, thanks for sticking with me. We needed to get this group figured out. It's pretty tedious. These loves of theirs... These disordered loves, what the Bible calls idols elsewhere, Jesus is like, I can hang with you in this conversation. In fact, I love you enough. We need to talk about a few things. And this stuff gets drawn out. And it's important to note that not only are their idols going to lead them to kill Jesus, it's also important to note that in the end, their idols will kill them as well they are going to be damned. That's the point of the parable we're going to look at in a second. So I just want to stop there and pause for us, and I want to quote um, uh, one of my favorite black rappers and writers, Jackie Hill Perry, who says, Friends, your idols don't love you, and they will kill you. You love your idols. Your idols do not love you. Your disordered loves don't love you. My precious, whatever that precious thing is that I love so much, and I I, want to be nuanced here. There's a lot of good things, but my precious power, my precious mind, my precious need to be right, my precious comfort, my precious kids, my precious legacy or career. If these idols, if these loves get disordered, these, these idols we love, in the end, will kill us. And Jesus confronts them directly with the parable. We're going to look at that parable, and we're going to be done with this group. In this parable, Jesus tells of a man who plants a vineyard. Remember, he says, a man plants a vineyard, he leases it to the tenants. And this is a common practice in that day. You get some tenants, he lives over here out of the country, they get to live off the land, and, and they just send him some of the produce, so after a while in the parable, it says that the man like, sends some servants. And what happens? They take the servant. The first one, they beat him. The second one, they crack over the head. The third one, they kill. And they continue to send servants, and they continue to get beat up and killed. This is right in response to that question of the first group about the prophets. This is Jesus saying, hey, you've had many prophets come and answer your question. You've, you've beat them up and killed them off. That's what he's saying. And then, look, it says in verse 25, find that verse with me. 12, uh, no, 12-5, sorry, 12-5. Finally, this owner sends who? Son, and not any son. What kind of son? What's it say? A beloved son. He sends his beloved son. All these teachers that I just tediously kind of described, the, they know that language. That's Old Testament language. They know when they hear beloved son. The tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him. And they killed him and they threw him out of the vineyard. And Jesus says that the owner of the vineyard, he's he's pretty straightforward. What's he say? He says the owner of the vineyard is gonna come back and he's gonna destroy the tenants and he's gonna give the vineyard to others. And we talked about that last week the temple being overturned, Jesus cursing the the fig tree. He's saying, "I, I, I will judge an unfaithful people. But here's what I want us to notice very in this little first part. Notice their response, verse 12. They perceived that he had told the parable against them. Really interesting. It's very clear that their posture is, I surrender not. But they actually did perceive that he's talking about them. They realize it's about us. And there's there's two ways for us to respond when we recognize this is about us. Do you remember David, after he sleeps with Bathsheba, gets her husband murdered, there's a prophet, one of those prophets, that comes and he confronts David and he tells him what he did through another parable and he says, you are the guilty man. And what's David's response? Oh, this is about me. This is about me. And his his heart cries out, Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Cleanse me from my sin. He's saying, this is about me. Save me from my loves. They're going to kill me. That's what he's saying. That's one way to respond when we open the scriptures, when we hear from the Spirit, or when someone in my missional community comes to me and confronts something, we, we can say, this, this is about me. And like David, we say, this is about me. But that is not their response. They're saying, this is about me. It's about me. It's like, uh, who is it, De Niro in Raging Bull, that classic, when he's like looking at the, the mirror some of you are nodding is like you talking to me you're talking to, like he this is the this is this about me that is where they are and I just want to pause there friend right now maybe you can even take your phone out and jot down if some of these contending loves are like coming up in you this you're feeling this is about me I want to remind you what Jesus said the power of God is available to us in this maybe just take a second jot those down Okay? Something comes up. Alright, that's our surrender not. I surrender not. The second group, I surrender ish. That's that one guy. We move on to this one man. He's one of the scribes. He's actually one of the first group. He's a teacher. He's super well versed in the like Torah, the Old Testament. He comes because, why? Did you notice? He's actually like, man. These are really impressive answers. He says, well done, Jesus. And he comes to Jesus, and he's intrigued. And I believe he's asking a completely genuine question. I think he really wants to know. I think he really wants to know. He's the first one who actually asks a sincere question, a great question. And he says, which commandment is the most important commandment of all? It's like, okay, let's talk about what really matters. Just tell us what really matters. And Jesus gives this guy an answer that he's probably super familiar with. It's from Deuteronomy 6. It's a passage called the Shema. Shema. And it's a passage that this guy probably at one point, um, as was the custom, like wrote down and put in a little box on his forehead and had completely memorized. And like it is, he knows this passage. And this is the passage. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And Jesus adds, he says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I gave that first group, I said, their mantra is, I surrender not. But I think with the second guy, I think it's, I surrender-ish. And here's why. Here's why. Uh, After this interaction, Jesus tells him a strange thing. A strange sentence. He says, and I hear Jesus drawing close to him, but he, still, it's a strange sentence. He says, you are not far from the kingdom. You're not far from the kingdom. That, that sounds encouraging. I do believe it was. But if we're honest, not far doesn't mean in, right? And we can just pause and draw the parallel to today's Seattle Mariners game, Right? For 20 years, we have been not far. And we don't know if... Are any of you tracking with the fact that the Mariners, the baseball team, are like potentially going to be in the playoffs? There's a huge... No, you're not. Wow, you guys don't have that idol. Good job. All of us have been freed, except me and John right there. One more. Three of us. Okay. But the Mariners have not been in the playoffs And tonight, there's a game that decides they're close, but they're not in. And not far doesn't mean in. And Jesus is telling this guy, you're not far. That's encouraging, but it also should be alarming. Why is he only not far? He starts out with this good, honest question. Jesus gives him an answer, and here's where it starts to get weird. When this guy responds to Jesus' answer. Did you notice that? His response after Jesus gives him, his response is, You're right, teacher. Like, basically, like, Well done, teacher. You've given a solid answer. You've given a, a, a decent answer. Look at that text. Andre, if you could pull it up again, I think I have it up there the, the, the greatest commandment. Look at that text, and um, what do you think is the most dangerous word in those sentences? What do you think is the most dangerous word? I'm going to contend that it's the word all. That's a pretty big word, all. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The word all is a really dangerous word for someone like me with a heart full of conflicting loves. My heart is an arena of these loves, fighting it out. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And here's why, and this is not just my opinion. I wrestled with this and wrestled with others with this this week. Here's here's what I think is happening. The teacher's response, good job, Jesus. Got it. Got it. Well done. Let me put it this way. If your response to Jesus' call for your all is Got it, then you don't got it. It can't be got it. That call to love the Lord my God with all my strength, soul, mind, heart. I don't think I mean speaking me, Dawson, I don't think I've kept that commandment for five minutes in my life. And I think it seems to me that Jesus' Jesus' call here is smoking out his in a different way, my response can't be, I got it. My response has to be like, okay, that's a lot, that's a lot. I think to some degree, this guy is searching after the ideal. He's searching after, just give it to me. I need, I want to know, I want to check that last box Here's the way, but this ideal in his head has not yet truly confronted the loves of his heart because otherwise he'd be like, sheesh, okay. Like, I need to work, I need to, I need to, I need to figure that one out. I think to some degree, like it's, it's so super easy where in a church context for us to say, Jesus is my number one love. But if my love for Jesus isn't truly being brought into conflict with the other loves of my heart then i'm going to use this metaphor it's going to be a little weird hope it's not insensitive like the, the the scribes were but it's kind of like a man married to five wives or a woman married to five husbands who brings forth their favorite and says let me introduce you to my number one love with four others standing behind let me this is my this is my favorite love like if that happened we'd all be like this is super feels super icky, and who, who's going to tell him? Who's, who's going to tell her that it doesn't work that way? You can't have like, Jesus is my all. Here's these things too, but he is my all. So we can't, we can't live polygamous lives with Jesus. That, should, that all should confront us. And so there is no ish category. There's no like, yeah, I surrender ish. There is there's either not or all. So where's the where's the ish category? Where's the where's the ishness in our hearts? If you have your phone out and some stuff's coming to mind, go ahead and if stuff came out during that time, add it. All right. So I surrender not. I surrender ish. And then the third mantra I said is I surrender all. This brings us to the widow. Okay, the third group, I surrender all. This passage ends with this scene with Jesus and a widow. And Jesus looks at this woman, and she says, Here, see here, she gave her all. Now, I got I to gotta be honest, it was this week that I've realized that my whole life, when it came to this passage, I actually have been kind of judging this woman. And what I mean by that is I've always been like, okay, thanks, Jesus, for illustrating your point, but let's be honest, giving your last two pennies is probably not wise stewardship of your money. Like, what are you going to buy breakfast with the next day? I really, this week, was like, I think I've thought that my whole life. Like, in this story, like, it's a good principle, but probably not wise. Like, we need to be careful. We need to create a budget, all that stuff. I was like, wow. And I I literally, as I was looking at the passage, I felt like Jesus, like not in a weird way. It's not like he did this, but I felt like Jesus kind of turned to me and like, hmm, interesting. Like you think you know more about this woman than I do. Like you think that you know what the right, like we actually don't know her story. We know very little about her story, but you know who do not does know her story? Jesus. And he actually assesses her situation and says, that's my girl. Look at her. And I was like, oh man, I probably should like listen to him. So here's the thing. Here's the other thing I didn't think about. This woman only has two coins. Now, why does she only have two coins? Not because she's a widow. She has two coins only because she fell through the safety net that was put in place and people dropped her when they should have been catching her. That's crazy. Like starting with Deuteronomy 14, Deuteronomy 15, Deuteronomy 24, Exodus 22, Isaiah 1, Psalm 82, I could go on. Jesus calls his people to care for the widow. He says, care for the widow among you. So, we're going to kind of pivot here a little bit at the end. Up till now, and you've kind of felt it. It's kind of heavy. You kind of felt like the the heavy, like idolatry addressing. That's, it's needed. Jesus does it. He's smoking out the heart. He's smoking out. It's, we're talking about sin. We're talking about disordered loves. But right here at the end, in, in Jesus' bringing us to the woman, right here at the end, this turns Not to the conflict in our heart, but really just to the conflict in our lives that like something's happened, someone's wounded us, someone's betrayed us, someone's neglected us, and instead of just disordered hearts, we actually have disordered lives that weren't even our fault. Like we have dramatically and traumatically disordered lives because potentially someone who's supposed to care for us like dropped us. And, and it's not just the conflict of sin that smokes out our heart. It's the conflict of wounds done to us that's going to smoke out our heart, for better or for worse. And for some of us, the conflict of life has left us stripped in moments. And we can identify two coins. Let me check. I, don't, I think I have one coin. I feel like I have one coin left. Some of us have been abandoned have been betrayed, have been neglected, maybe abused, used by someone who is supposed to be there for us. And I know I'm treading into like really tender territory. And so I want to pause and just say this up front so that we don't get confused. If you are neglected, betrayed, abused, used by someone who is supposed to take care of you, maybe it's your father abandoned his post. Maybe it's your mom who didn't mother you. Maybe it's the ones who are supposed to care for you, who instead of caring for you, wounded you. You've been hurt. You've been hurt by a spouse. You're being neglected, used, or abused. Maybe it's a church. Maybe it's a church that hurt you, that turned on you, that forgot you. Maybe you suffered like an abuse of power or even like spiritual authority. Maybe you can't even quite put your finger on it, but you know that someone who was supposed to care for you left you wounded. I just want to first of all say, I'm really sorry. That's really sad. And we want to grieve that with you. And we need healing for that, and we need protection for that, and we need to be seen, and we need to be cared for. And sometimes, some of us might need someone else to say, hey, you need to walk away from that. That's, that's abusive. So I just want to say that. If you're in that situation, reach out. If you've been in that situation, haven't found healing, reach out. I just want to say that up front. But I think Jesus is calling us to something even beyond the healing in this. I think as Jesus points to the window, the window, he points to the widow, he is saying, it's, it's so easy for us to get, if that's your story, it's so easy for us to get to the place where we say, look at the way my life has stripped my life from me. I have these two measly coins left. And we go calloused, and we go bitter, and we go hard for understandable reasons, like I just said. There are traumas and wounds that go far beyond smoking out our hearts. It feels like someone burned our house down, burned our life up. But Jesus saying there's something available through resurrection power of Jesus. That very fire that burns your world down can be a purifying fire that changes us into something impossible. And Jesus is pointing to someone who suffered the neglect of those who are supposed to care for her. He gets to judge her heart, and he does, and he looks at her, and we get the verdict. He points to her, and the cry of her heart is, well, I don't got much left, but I surrender all. That's her heart. The guys who neglected her are right there. That's crazy. And she is not bitter heart or accusing the cry of her heart as, well, Jesus, these are the two coins I have. They're yours. Jesus can work with whatever we have left if we give him our all. Do you see how proud King Jesus is of this daughter? I love it. Look at her. Look at this one. I thought about doing this whole exponential math illustration here, and I decided it's actually above my pay grade to try to do that. Um, But simply put, when you introduce an all factor into a mathematical equation, things start blowing up. It's exponential multiplication. That little you have left when you give your all things start going crazy in a good way. So, I surrender all. I want us to, to land on a little few stories. It is no coincidence that in church history, there are a, there's a long line of powerful single women who have left legals, legacies. Here's a few of them. Corey Timboom, 19th century World War II, devastated in her 20s by a man who left her at the altar, finds herself suddenly in World War II, physically saves hundreds, spiritually cares for hundreds. Jesus saves hundreds through her because she said, I don't got much left, but I surrender all. Marcina, Marquina, I don't know if you've heard of this girl. Fourth century, after her betrothed dies at 12, things were different back then, At 12, her betrothed dies, then her dad dies, then her mom dies. She is left to care for her family. She could have said, I'm done. Instead, she cares for her little brothers, two of which are in every history book, Gregory of Nyssa and Basil of Caesarea. She's not in the history books that often. Her brothers are, but why? Because she said, I got this little left. I surrender all. I'm going to give it to my brothers. Number three, Julian of Norwich 14th century her story's kind of crazy like there's a lot of like some of these women I mean they do this stuff and there's like all these legends and myths it's like kind of hard to trace like what's true what's not so I didn't I just want to say that if you're starting to wikipedia her you'll find like a super long list of strange things but the bottom line is she probably lost her family to the black death and she gives the next 60 years of her life to two things in this little little tiny house prayer and counseling others for 60 years that's all she does she writes this book called Revelations of Divine Love. It's this amazing little contemplative classic. And um, T.S. Eliot, uh, that the way I got to her is through T.S. Eliot. T.S. Eliot quotes her this line right here. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Uh, that a, that, you can only write that if you've gone through something. Number four, Lottie Moon, this incredible lady, This time she turns down a proposal. She decides we're not going to go this way at 32 and then she moves to China as a missionary in 1873. She lives there for 40 years at a time when barely any people were were following in the way of Jesus. Now there's hundreds of millions and no way to trace how many of those stories link back to Lottie Moon, 40 years of singleness saying I surrender all. All these single ladies feel like we need to sing the Beyonce song, right? All the single ladies. This is why I'm dumbfounded. I'm going to be careful here, but I'm also going to be straightforward. When someone simply like says and just drops this bomb, the primary call for a woman is to be a wife and a mother. Bold something. Like It could be that, and my wife believes right now that is her primary call. But not necessarily. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe as you discover your story, you'll find out. Last one. Elizabeth Elliot. And our widow, Lisa Sheets, loves this widow. And if, when you talk to Lisa, who has a similar story as this Elizabeth, you'll, you'll kind of, you'll, it, she sounds like Elizabeth. And when you read Elizabeth, she sounds kind of like Lisa. If you don't know Lisa's story, get to know Lisa's story. She's, she's, she lost a husband and it's done something to her heart. So Elizabeth Elliot moves with her husband to be missionaries, and the very people she's ministering to murder her husband. Elizabeth stays there with them so they can understand the forgiveness of Jesus. It's a little crazy. And I just want to read some of her words. And um, believe it or not, I edited this down from like two pages and I just want to share everything she says. I'm still going to read quite a bit. And I want you just like, whatever you need to do, just like listen to her speaking about her relationship with the Father. As someone who has lost a lot. Okay? Just listen to this. Whatever you need to do to get in that place. Here we go. Elizabeth Elliot. Everything, if given to God can become your gateway to joy. You can never lose what you have offered to Christ. God has promised to supply all our needs. What we don't have now, we don't need now. God's work done in God's way never lacks God's supply. The will of God is never exactly what you expect it to be. It may seem to be much worse. But in the end, it's going to be a lot better and a lot bigger. Today is mine, and tomorrow is none of my business. If I peer anxiously into the fog of the future, I will strain my spiritual eyes so that I will not see clearly what is required of me now. It is God to whom and with whom we travel. And while he is the end of our journey... He is also at every stopping place. One does not surrender a life in an instant. That which is lifelong can only be surrendered in a lifetime. Of one thing I'm perfectly sure, God's story never ends with ashes. If you believe in a God who controls the big things, you have to believe in a God who controls the little things. The cross means suffering. Suffering's meaning is to be learned through the cross. When obedience to God contradicts what I think will give me pleasure, she's talking about her loves right there. When obedience to God contradicts what I think will give me pleasure, let me ask myself if I love him. The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. And this is her message to you. You are loved with an everlasting love and underneath are the everlasting arms. It's almost like you're like, I want whatever she had to get there, right? These five women are five of millions. You can read some of their biographies, some only Jesus knows, but man, two pennies go a long way if it's your all and if you give your all. So, for those of us who have been stripped, and, and honestly, it's all of us. We are all the widow. And if you don't feel that, you will. But specifically, for those of us who feel we've been stripped, Jesus, like he says to the Sadducees, you don't know the power of God. He, he wants us to experience the power of God that Elizabeth Elliot just like talked about. The power of God. So whether you're a man or a woman, maybe, maybe you are single. Maybe you're wondering if you'll always be single. Maybe you're wondering, Am I, do I have to be or, 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 or should I be single? Give your all right now in your singleness. It's gonna go a long way. Maybe you've been hurt by those who are supposed to protect you. Again, I'm sorry, I know that pain. Myself, it hurts but what does God have for me with with what's left there? Maybe you've been hurt by the church. I want to pause there. That pain's real to me too. You've been hurt by a local church, a local church that didn't care for you. Maybe it's this church. Maybe it's these current leaders. That's a serious business. It needs healing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for your pain. But our good comforter not only wants us to heal he wants to walk us through the healing and however powerless and helpless we might feel as he heals us he also wants us to just be like okay what does it look like for me to give my all with whatever i have left in some ways it's almost like the less i have the fewer roadblocks i have to surrender all for the kingdom I was talking to a woman that's part of our church this week who gave me, it's not me, This—it's gave me permission to tell her story and she had a, this last week a very difficult moment with her family and her story is a hard one. Her story is a story of parents who not, were not able to give her what she needed and in fact hurt her. That's her story growing up. And this last week, there was a moment where, because of God's faithfulness in, in her life, her family's asking this woman to like come back in and help resolve like a serious crisis. And this, this woman is like reeling with, like, they, like, they, they hurt me so much. There's vengeance that's wanted, all these loves. And as we walked through that, there's certainly permission. She she is not her parents' parents. She doesn't have to care for them. She She needs to seek in community what her boundaries are. But as she walked in, something powerful happened. As she walked in forgiveness and recognized, I have very little, but I do know that in this situation with safe boundaries, if I give what I got, it might bring healing. And some phone calls happened and some healing happened and some weeping happened that's decades hurt in the making because someone came and says, it's all I got, but I'll give it. Jesus looks at that woman in our body. She looks at that widow just like that widow when he sees us give our all, he says, that's my girl. That's my boy gave their all. Where am I? I surrender not. I surrender Ish. I surrender all. I want to pray, and then we're going, to, we're going to enter into communion and look at the person of Jesus and the Father who gave all for us so that we might give our all.